Uh, Pastor, we've been in a series this year uh, on full, and lately he's been in kind of a sub-theme called Father Knows, Father Knows Best. Amen? And he's been talking to us about addictions and temptations and things of that nature. How many of you have enjoyed that? It's been incredibly insightful, um, and he's doing such a good job on talking about addiction that I'm going to let him continue that. I'm going to stay in the same vein this morning, and I'm going to talk kind of in a different direction, but on the same topic. Amen? I want to talk this morning about this thing called repentance. Someone say repentance. And I I, want to, I love this word. I love this word. I've grown to love this word. And I'm kind of like on a campaign because with this, because so many people carry a negative association with that word repentance, right? Because if if you've come out of a very religious background or legalistic background, that word repentance can actually turn you off because it was presented in the wrong way. Does that make sense? But, but I'm here to tell you that repentance is beautiful. Amen. Amen. repentance is a gift from God, the scripture says. And so in this series, pastors, why he's been talking about addiction, he's also been talking about temptation. And this morning, I want to talk to you this morning, briefly, uh, this, this moments we have together about sin and repentance. Is that okay? Even, even on the subject of addiction, even though I'm not teaching on it, if, if we were to break this down, how many of you know that Every addiction is different, meaning when you hear the stories of people who are caught in an addiction, how many know there's no two scenarios that are alike? And what you'll find if you ask any psychologist or psychiatrist worth their salt, most addictions do not start off because people want to be addicts. Amen? Most people are running from something. Most people have not processed pain correctly. And really... If you get to the root, a lot of it, sin, there was sin present somewhere. Okay, let me, let me explain. So let's just say, you know, you have someone that when they were a child, something horrible was done to them. They were abandoned. They were left. A a parent actually sinned against the child or something, something worse happened. And the child's growing up with a void. And so to fill the, the void of a pain that someone else did to them, they run to a sin to fill that void. Does that make sense? See, sin always causes a ripple effect. And see, and I, I definitely believe in the psychological and emotional components of all of that. But if you cut through a lot of the things and the problems we deal with in life, you can trace some of it back to sin. Where, where, where sin was allowed in, doors were opened. I'm making sense. How many of you know that's true? That's even with addictions. But then we know pastors also been talking to us about the weakness of the flesh. I don't, I don't, I don't think you need convincing. How many know that we all have weakness in the flesh? Amen. And that goes along with temptation. Temptations. How many have dealt with temptation? If you, if you haven't, you're a liar. So uh, we got other problems this morning. And then, and then, and then we deal with things, like, things like generational sin or generational curses. How many know that's a very real thing? Maybe in your own family, you've had to battle some of those things where generationally. See, the amazing thing is that you can. We it, it goes both ways, spiritually and negatively. You know, the Bible says that God was good to Solomon because of his son David. 
we have the ability to pass on inheritance in the natural and in the spirit to our children. But it also we can also pass on bad habits and, and, and faulty thinking and sinful thinking. How many know that's true? And so we have generational curses. And then we just have sin. Someone just say sin. And how many know sometimes we just sin? How many know sometimes the root cause is just you, you and I wanted to do what we wanted to do? <laughs> but I, I want to talk to you this morning. Uh, we're we're going to kind of dive into this and about this, this beautiful thing called repentance. But I, I want to say this up, up, up front that how many know that God loves sinners? And what I mean by that is that he loves, the Bible says this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ loved us and died for us. That's, that's, that's not in question here today. But the Bible is very clear that he hates sin. Now religion, unfortunately, hijacked it. And they, they religious people hate people and they hate sin. <laughs> Amen. But Jesus obviously loves sinners because if he loved you and me, there's no other kind, right? But I, I, I want, you know, my whole life, I mean, obviously I know as a Christian, God doesn't like sin. But, you know, as I've gotten older and especially in the last few years, I've dissected it in my mind and I've really looked at it. Why is it that God hates sin so much? You know, a lot of times like growing up, we just don't even think about it, at least I did it. And a lot of people that I've talked to just, you know, just, it's kind of known. You don't do this. Don't do that. God doesn't like it. God hates it. Don't do it. You know, and I think in some people's mind, you know, they thought that God was just got bored one day and he's just trying to come up with as many rules as possible to keep us from having fun. But, but it's, it's, it's the complete opposite. And, and the, the, the reason that God hates sin so much is that it causes devastation and havoc everywhere that it's present. How many of you would agree with that? Romans 6.23. This is a very, very common verse. Uh, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ through Jesus. Now, the thing, though, about this message is all of us have heard this. and, And most likely... When you heard this scripture was when the gospel was presented to you. How many heard this? The night you heard the gospel, someone told you the wages of sin is death, gift of life, the gift of Christ is eternal life. And that's true. But for some reason in our minds, when we think about for the wages of sin is death, we only think about eternal death. I don't, me personally, I don't believe the Bible is just talking about hell. That, I don't think that's all it's saying. I think it's literally saying that, that sin produces death, period. Both eternally and now. Because where sin is present, things will decay. Things will, it will wreak havoc in, in, in lives. Are you, are you hearing me this morning? How many of you know that's true? And if you take a step back, whether it's in your life, those closest to you, wherever sin is out of control, wherever sin is dominating, you will see not far behind that. There are devastating results to that. I, I know I'm preaching to the choir, but how many know that's true? Say yes. 
the, if you look at the first five commandments of the Bible, the first five have to do with us and God. The second five have to do with us and man. You know what I'm saying? So that's why when I look at the cross, I see that God was delivering us this way and this way. The reason why he hates sin is because it's, it, it creates a chasm between us and God. The first thing sin does is that it causes us to run from him. You know, a lot of people think, I, I don't know why, where we picked this up at, because it's actually not in the Bible. A lot of people have been told their whole life, God can't look at sin. It doesn't really, it, it, if, you, if you read the verse in the Old Testament where it's the prophet saying he can't look at sin, it says, yet he still looked. Jesus was God in the flesh and set among sinners. It's not that God can't look at sin. It's that sinners don't want to be in the presence of him because we, want, we naturally want to run and hide. Think about Adam when he sinned. Adam went and hid and sowed fig leaves. And what does the Bible say? God went looking for him. God wasn't saying, oh, I can't look at that. God said, where are you? And he says, I'm hiding from you. Because sin produces death, condemnation, guilt. And here's what it does. It makes us want nothing to do with God. That's why if you read, I believe it's in Colossians or uh, Colossians or Ephesians, it says we uh, sin caused us to be enemies of God in our own minds. So that means that we we whenever we hear the things of God or, or, or see the things of God or around, we don't want nothing to do with it. Why? Because it's shedding a light. On our mess, am I making sense this morning? Of course, God is holy, of course, he's righteous. But to say that he can't look at it is, is, is not think about it. Then then how come Jesus sat with sinners and dined with them? It's that sin causes us to run from him. The other thing that sin does is it destroys our interactions and our relations with one another. I I, I, I don't feel like I have to do much convincing on that. Some of you probably come from broken homes and situations where horrible things were done. And because of that, how many know there was a ripple effect in your family or something happened to where... Because one of the greatest lies the enemy wants to te- tell us is that he wants to convince us that our, our sin is just our sin. Hey, look, that's just that it's not going to hurt anyone. It, that's just you. But we don't realize that our sin doesn't just hurt us. It hurts those around us. Amen. Just stick with me. I'm going somewhere. Amen. Romans 12, 9. Before I read this, let me say this. Here's the good news. We weren't created for sin. I need someone to say amen to that. We weren't created for it. It came later. But how many know you were created for God? You were created for his pleasure, for his purposes. You know, before there was original sin, there was original innocent. There there was a place where we were created in God, for God. Amen. And he wants to restore us to that place. But Romans 12, 9 says this. Let love be without hypocrisy. Catch this. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. And now I'm going to preach for a few moments. Can I preach? And can I be open and transparent? And, and I'm going to use myself uh, as, as, the, uh, as the guinea pig on a lot of this. Amen. The Bible says 
to hate. The, the word abhor literally means to detest and hate. Amen. I told you religion would have us hate people and hate sin. That's wrong. We're to love people, but the Bible's very clear. We're to hate what is evil. That means in us and in what, what we see. What that means is this, is that we're not supposed to build up a tolerance. Amen. Starting with our own lives, the Bible actually says it's, it's good and healthy to hate what is evil. In fact, it's the only hate that the Bible permits. It's the only hate that the Bible commands, that we hate what is evil, but love and cling to what is good. A few years ago, and this is where I'm going to share, share a little bit of, of something that God's been doing in me. A few years ago, God really began to reveal this to me. Have you, like, like I know right, right now as I'm talking, this is simple. You're thinking this, this is the ABCs of the gospel, obviously. We know, but just hear me out for a few minutes. Is that okay? Have you ever had God, as, as it were, to peel back the blinders off of your eyes to where you see something so clearly? A few years ago, just in the midst of a difficult season, and I was dealing with personal stuff. I was dealing with stuff. Me and my, me and my, a couple of years ago, me and my wife were both dealing with stuff and our families and intense situations and our personal lives and all kinds of stuff. And I was just in a season of praying and it just seemed like there was a lot of chaos around me, around my wife, just a bunch of stuff. And by myself, just the Lord began to deal with me and he really began to open up my eyes. It was as if blinders were just taken off of me, and all of a sudden I could just see sin wreaking havoc on friends and loved ones and myself. And the Lord, the Lord really began to, almost like with a laser point focus, began to see, do you, do you see that the root of a lot of this is just plain sin? Undealt with, covered. Blatant, you see what I'm saying? And it, it was as if all of the sudden, it's like I knew this. I know, I know the devil's a jerk. I've always believed the devil's a jerk. But it's like I could see it. Tear, ripping apart families and, and, and friends and just horrible situations. And what happened is, is the Lord began to really create a holy frustration on the inside of me. Someone say holy frustration. And I remember one day. uh, Okay, this is where I got to do a little bit of explaining. I like to take baths, okay? I've been telling this in the early services. I I tell a lot of people I like baths and they're like, you like baths? And I'm just like, wait, we've, we've been bathing for thousands of years. They invent a shower and all of a sudden bathing is only for women. Okay. No, I like taking baths. Okay, and and and, and 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 hey, if I'm gonna be honest with you, I like taking baths, dimming the lights, and lighting the candles. Okay, I do. Me and my wife have to fight for the bath. I'm being honest with you. We even got a pillow in the bath. It's like a bath pillow. It's my happy place. <laughs> I go there, man. You put on you put on like a jazz playlist or some worship music. Get you a good book. (laughs) 
Hey, I'm not changing. My wife loves me the way I am. So. So. But here's the thing. I actually have some of my best time with the Lord in the bath. Because you can't go nowhere. You know what I mean? It's like there's not a lot you can do. You just got to eat. You know. So. But here, my wife loves to take baths too. And actually some of our best conversations. So she'll be in the bath sometimes. And I'll, I'll come into the bathroom. And I'll, I'll, I'll sit on the floor. And I'll lean back against the cabinets. Right? And we'll just talk. Uh, just talk. We have some of our best conversations. And it's probably because there's no TV in there. Right? I mean, there, there, you know, you're, it's just, you're just talking. But on this particular day, I was in the bath. In the middle of the day. <laughs> and, and I'm like, babe, you know, come in here. I just... I've just been, I've been, God's just been doing something to me. And I'm like, you know, I just, I don't know what has happened to me. I said, I I have this newfound holy frustration where I don't know why, but all of a sudden I'm just, I hate sin. And then you say, well, should you? Yeah, I, I, I know as Christians, we should always do it, but I don't know. God was doing something in me where I was just like, I'm sick of it. I'm sick of what it does to me. I'm sick of what it does to other people. I'm sick of what it does. I'm sick of it. I'm sick of it. I just, I just had this moment. And I remember that day, I started to realize, you know, I started reading through the Psalms and the words of David. I begin to read to the commands of scriptures. And that they, sometimes our love for God is evident in what we hate. Not, and, and I don't mean this in a judgmental or self-righteous way. Please hear me. I was not like, hey man, I'm going to be pointing you out, bro. No, it wasn't like that. It was a real empathy and compassion and frustration with myself and with what I'm seeing around me. Does that make sense? Like, I want, I want nothing to do. Like, I don't want nothing that's not of him in my life. I'm tired because you know why? My eyes were opened. You know, I I talk to so many people. Here's where it gets real. So a lot of people, you talk to them about hell and eternal death. And guess what? They don't really care. You know why? Because most people say, I'll get my life right later. I'll do what I want to do right now and I'll make it all right. But if people's eyes were ever open to see what sin is doing to them right now. But they can't see because when you're in it, you can't always see it. The Bible, talk, the Bible talks about how the, the, the prince of this age has blinded. So God began to deal with me. I mean, God dealt, started dealing with me on some personal stuff, stuff, stuff that I didn't even know was there. But here's what it did. I started to create and I, I realized, man, this is so biblical. Like, why haven't I? I understand, like, I've always had a passion for righteousness, but there's this new thing in me where I, I literally, it's like, I, I just I hate the devil. Like, I just punch him in his, I just want to punch him in his face every day. Because here's, here, here, here's the thing. is because he's a punk and he's a jerk, right? And here, here's the thing. All, all he does is lie. That's all he does. And so I started getting really serious about hating my own sin. And then this is what it did. Like I said, this is not in a judgmental or self-righteous. This was like in a sincere way. I started really, really like just getting angry at what it was doing to my family. And this is what I started to realize. Or my family or my friends. I, I started realizing this. Is that if we will step into a place where we hunger for righteousness and hunger. I'm about to throw out a word. It's a little old school. But I think God wants to bring it back. It's called holiness. 
Which, here's the thing. Holiness is wholeness, right? It's wholeness. It means not having a divided heart, not having divided affections, not having a double mind. It means literally loving, seeking to love God with your heart, your mind, and your soul. Amen? You understand what I'm saying? And here's what it did. It didn't make me judgmental or critical towards other people. It made my heart want to come out of my chest. When I get around people who are suffering the effects of sin right now. Because here's the thing. The devil is having a field day with some of us. The devil's having a field day with some of our families. The devil's having a field day with our kids. The devil's having a field day. And you know what? It, he's, a, he's a jerk. And here's the thing. Here's the crazy thing. Is that, is that sometimes we don't mean to, but we put more stock And the fact that we can and do often sin more than we put in the power of the cross. Someone told me one time, someone told me one time, they said, you know, I think the only time I'll be set free from sin is when I die. I said, then Jesus is not your savior. Death is. We will always fall short from time to time. We will always make mistakes. But rest assured, you can have victory over sin in your life. Are you with me? And so God began to deal with me. Okay, can, can I can this word? Can I just get real and transparent? God began to show me how selfish sin is. See, some of us get trapped or caught in sin for all kinds of reasons, but to stay in it is selfish. Because it hurts us and it hurts other people. God began to deal with me. And you know what? And here, here's, the, here's the amazing thing about God. How many of you know he's a dad? I, so in public, I call him father and all that. But in my public time, I call him papa. Because that's what he is. He's Papa God. He's, he's a dad. And you know, through this process, when God started teaching me this and the, the, the power of actually going to war with sin in your life, right? The power of detesting it, what it, what it does for you and what it does to you. And, and you know, when I felt the Lord correcting me and dealing with me on personal issues, it didn't feel harsh. It didn't feel like he was trying to beat me up and make me feel bad. It felt like a father saying, hey, don't go this way. Don't entertain this thought. Don't entertain these things. You weren't created for this. That's what it felt like. It's like a parent. What parent lets their kid run into a busy street? God began to deal with me. I'm going to be honest with you. I had to cl- <laughs> Can I just want to be real? I cleaned up my iPod. I was like, you started dealing with me. You need to be careful what you're putting in your ears. There were shows that I loved. I had to stop watching. God loves Netflix, but everything in there ain't of Jesus. You see, because here, no, no, follow me. A few weeks ago, they did a they drama and they were talking about a slow fade. What happens is you start letting a little bit in front of you, a little bit in there. You start to- before you know it, you're full blown tolerating stuff that you never thought you would tolerate. Maybe I'm not talking to you this morning, but I'm talking to a lot of us because I think a lot of us have been there. I'm talking about little stuff. And sometimes it just takes the father. It takes it takes allowing him to go that deep in our relationship. People ask me, Pastor, do you sin? Yeah, thank by the grace of God. I know I'm not a habitual sinner. 
I don't, I don't live in, I don't live under the, the weight and shackles of sin. Do I occasionally sin? Yeah, sure. Of course I do. I get mad in traffic like everybody else. I'm half Irish. You know what I'm saying? Like someone cuts me off. I'm just like, I want to punch you in the tooth. You know what I mean? Just like knock the tooth out. Then I'm like, Jesus, Jesus, you know, I, I, you know, not a habitual sinner, but yeah, you know, like any man, I have to be careful what I put in front of my eyes. That's why I can't spend too much time on Instagram or Facebook. God began to deal with me to protect. And he, he made it very clear. This is for your protection. Are you tracking with me this morning? So why am I sharing this, though, with a, with a room full of Christians? Second Chronicles chapter seven, verse 14. I want to read something to you. This scripture is very important to the church. If you know the history, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves. And pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. You notice that God is talking to his own people here. And if there's anything, I, I, want, I want you to hear me on this because this can help somebody. If there's anything that I have learned throughout the years in studying and reading scripture, it's to learn to interject myself into Israel's story. Meaning, when I read the Bible, I can identify with Israel at just about every turn. And here's why. Israel are God's chosen people. So am I. So are you. God took them on a journey. I'm on a journey. God had to bring them through processes, we're in process. And so literally, when I read Israel's story, I, 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 I can relate a lot to it, and I hope you can too. And here's the thing about Israel, is there were many times when Israel got it right and they were doing good. But there were times in Israel's history where slowly but surely or subtly, influences from outside began to get in. As a matter of fact, when they were taken captive into Babylon, it was a major struggle For years to get Babylon out of their system again. To get Syria out of their system again. Even when God took them out of Egypt. Remember when they got into the desert. And they literally started to complaining to Moses. Hey Moses look. We had it better in Egypt than right here in the desert. It's hot right. Think about it for a second. They said we would rather go back to slavery than to follow you in the promised land. Because they had come out of Egypt. But Egypt had not come out of them. And what happened in, 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 in several times throughout Israel's history, you would see they would make progress, but they would slide back. And God would have to call them to this thing called repentance. All repentance really is. It, I'm, not, I'm not trying to simplify it, but it really is a returning to him wholeheartedly. And that's why I titled this message today, Returning to the Ways of God. Because I think that God wants to have a conversation with the, with the modern church about this word called repentance. Are you hearing me this morning? And so he would call Israel to repentance. And what he's doing is he's calling Israel back to your back to himself. And so all across America today, people are are, are, are rushing into churches today to get a word from God and to worship God. And I am thrilled about that. Amen. But if, if there's one concern I have for where we are, can I just be real? I'm just going to keep it real all day. Amen. And a lot of times when people say they're just going to keep it real, they're really saying they're going to be mean, right? 
That's not what I mean. I mean, in the most humble way, I'm trying to keep it real. Amen. All across America today, many people are going to hear the half gospel. Because the call to discipleship has been diminished. All across America and perhaps in other places, this is what people are going to hear today. God loves you. Is that true? Yes. God wants to bless you. Is that true? Yes. God has forgiveness for you. Is that true? Yes. And it stops there. Jesus said, if any man would come and follow me, let him pick up his cross. See, anyone will sign up for the blessing. Are you kidding? Who doesn't want to be forgiven? Who doesn't want to go to hell? Who doesn't want a house? <laughs> but, not. but the whole discipleship and repentance thing, I got, I got to change. <laughs> See, the full gospel is deny yourself because God has something better for you. And I'm preaching to myself because I've tried to do this. But, hey, I have found that repentance is far much better than anything that I could ever try to hold on to. Because Jesus said it's a narrow way. And you can't push a wide pack down a narrow path. Are you hearing me this morning? I love that God blesses. Do you hear me? I love that God's a blesser. How many love that he's a blesser? He told Israel, you know, when he brought him into the promised land, you'll have houses you didn't build. You'll have vineyards. All this. That I believe in all of that. But I also believe in literally taking up my cross and following him daily. And I have found that that's where it gets interesting. And you notice he didn't say, pick up your cross, deny the devil and follow me. He said, pick up your cross, deny yourself and follow me. Because here's the thing. I told you the devil's a jerk, but most of the time the devil's not our problem. We're our own problem. Because here's why. When, when Satan came to tempt Jesus, the Bible says that he was tempted in all manners like we were. The Bible's, Jesus couldn't be couldn't be persuaded. You know what the scriptures say? Because Satan found nothing in him of him. Satan only can tempt you with what's of him that you're buying into. That's why James says, let no man say that he's tempted by God, but he's drawn away with his own, by his own desires, right? So if, if I, if I refuse to die to myself, or, or if I refuse to die to the, you know, how I many you know you got to tell yourself no sometimes. No, you can't do everything you want to do. You can't think everything you want to think. I can't see everything I want to see. And here's the thing. I can't just do all those things and then shout grace. That's not grace. There's always grace. There's always grace. But that's not grace. That's that's bondage. That's the prodigal son coming to the father's house, going back to the pig pen, coming to the father's house, going back to the pig pen. That's not God's plan for your life. 
I thank God that we're called to impact and influence the world. But every once in a while, we've got to stop and ask ourselves, who's doing the influencing here? You know, someone asked me, do I think America's a Christian nation? You know, and, and, and used to, this is where it could get real bad, real tense. And used to, I would have just said very quickly, yeah, of course. And God we trust, right? I mean, come on. But honestly, the more I've really thought about it, I don't know anymore. I think we've been banking on what our founding fathers did 250 years ago. Because they wrote God into the Declaration of Independence. We think that we're, we're, we're just good. And I think God is looking at us. You know, we, we, we're, we're living in the basket of George Whitfield and Charles Finney and all these guys who did incredible things. And God is looking at us. He's looking at church saying, when are the reformers and the revivalists and the world shakers going to rise in this generation? Because here's what I know. The question is not, is America a Christian nation? It's, will it be in 50 years? Listen to this. In the 1940s and 50s, 74% of Christians were Protestant believers. Now it's 34%. One in six young people are practicing Christians. Only 13% of them are a part of a spiritual family or church. If the trend continues with the youngest, the youngest generations walking the earth, if, if something doesn't change, only 4% of them, they say, will be evangelical Christians. And that's the largest generation to walk the earth. There are more young people walking the earth than there's ever been before. Over 2.5 million, I mean, 2.5 billion of the world's population are teenagers and young adults. Because you see, in Second Chronicles, he told us. You know, he, he didn't say, you know, stand, stand and look at the world and tell them to get it together. He said, if my people. I remember reading it one day and for years I just I skipped right to the pray and seek. And God said, no, you, you don't see this. God will hold the church and every nation responsible for the climate of that nation. Because he told us right there, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, seek my face. Listen, turn from their wicked ways. That's repentance. Repentance. He says, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Here, here's the tricky thing about repentance. I mean, are you guys with me this morning? Here's why I think so much transformation ceases to happen in a person's life. It's because I don't think that repentance is truly understood. The, for, for many believers, repentance is something they left at the altar the day they got saved. I repented. You know, occasionally I do something wrong and I repent. But listen to what Martin Luther said, the, the leader of the Reformation. He said, when our Lord and Master Christ said repent, he willed the entire life of believers be one of repentance. Because the biblical definition of repentance is a turning of one's heart completely to God. But not only that, here, here's the kicker. In the, in, the, in the New Testament Greek, it literally means to change one's thinking. 
this revolutionized my life because I realized there are people, hear me, this is as sincere as I can be, who have encounters with God and they're sorry for over their sin. They really are. They cry over it. They really are sorry. But when they get up, repentance never took place because they go back to the same way of thinking and the same thing they did before. But, but here's the thing. When God convicts them and they're in the presence of God, they really are sorry. It's because someone didn't tell them repentance is not just being sorry. Repentance is turning around and doing something different. I mean, are you hearing me this morning? Repentance is changing one's posture and changing the way I, I, I can't. The, of course, sorrow and being sorry is a part of repentance. The Bible says godly remorse leads to repentance, right? Amen. Remorse is a part of it. But if all I have is remorse, but I don't have a change in direction, I don't have a change in mindset. I can't expect to be free. If all I'm going to do is say sorry, but, but, but not allow him to transform my mind. The Bible says in Romans chapter 12, verse two, be ye not con to the thought patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That word is the same word for repentance. It's metanoia. In other words, he wants to make our mind new every day, every day. And so I'm going to be real honest with you. I don't think that most people have even scratched the surface or the depths of repentance. Because it's not just, yeah, I repented and accepted Christ. But you know what? I'm repent. My life is repentance until I come into the full stature of Christ and maturity in him. That means that, that as I walk with the Lord, I'm growing constantly. Right? Amen. Like I said, it's like, it's like you get to the point where used to you could get away with certain things. And he's saying, no, you got to cut that thing out. You got to cut this. Out. That's just how that's called growing and maturing in him. This is what repentance looks like. I, I, I'm convinced of this because I, I generally, my, I have, I've done it before and I've been with people who have been sorry, but nothing changes in their life. You know why? They say, sorry, but you know what? They still talk to the same people. Think the same thoughts. You with me this morning? I'm not far from being done. So second Chronicles of my people who are called by my name will humble themselves. God says, and this is what I've, I've grown to believe. America will only experience reformation when the church is revived, when the church is awakened. I believe that. And there's a story in the book of second Chronicles. I'm not, I don't have time to, to read it. I'm going to paraphrase it before I close. God's been speaking to me a lot about a man named Josiah. How many of you remember the King Josiah? Very interesting story because he became king at eight years old. You can read his story in Second Kings chapter two, verse twenty-two, and you can also read it in Chronicles, Second uh, Chronicles thirty-four. At eight years old, he became king. But the Bible says that eight at eighteen, he sent the priests to go inquire about the temple because at this point Israel had reached a point of compromise. His his father and grandfather had kind of fallen away from the Lord, but the Lord was working in in this in this guy. But at, Israel was in such a bad place that 
they, they weren't really using the temple. It needed to be rebuilt. And so the priest goes in and he actually has to go and locate. He finds the word of God. How many of you remember the story? It says that he opens the ark and he, he actually, the Bible says he finds the book of the law. And he says, bring this to the king right now. The scribe reads the book of the law to Josiah. And Josiah, the Bible says, ripped his clothes. Think about it. I mean, think a, gen- a whole generation was coming up that didn't hear the word of God. They didn't know anything. About- and when he heard the word of God, conviction and repentance came over him. And it says he ripped his shirt. And you know what he did? Immediately. I mean, this brother went on the offense. He started, he sent people all over the country, tearing down idols, tearing down altars, tearing down everything that, 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 that was, I mean, he, he even went real extreme. He started killing people, all kind of stuff. He was like, in other words, he, he, he's one of the Bible's great reformers. And I believe that when the church in America so awakened again, when we're revived again, I believe that only then will this nation receive the reformation it needs. More and more, I'm realizing how silly it is that so many of us spend our time arguing politics on Facebook. And the real problem is, is that people all around us are suffering and, and, and are, are suffering and are being devastated by sin. That's the real problem. That's the real problem. And when I say revival, I want, to, I want to emphasize this again. When I say revival, this is what I mean by we need revival. We don't just need people getting touched by God. I am all for that. Amen. I love. I've told you guys all the time. Y'all know I'm Pentecostal. I love it. I love the presence of God. I love. Hey, I, I want to get slain every time. Okay. I, I do. I, I want to be that. T- I, I'm a. I just love the things of the spirit. I do. But here's what I've seen. You can get touched by God, fall on the ground, all that, and still not repent and go out and still live unchanged. What we need is we need a, a holistic revival where people are not only encountering God, encountering his presence, but there's, there's a real spirit. Listen to me. A real spirit of repentance and saying, God, I, I'm tired of doing things my way. I, I'm, I, I, I got to do things your way again. I got to raise my family your way. I've got to, I've got to raise my kids your way. I got to think your way. I got to live your way, whatever it costs. I, I, at this point, I'm at the end of myself. God, I, we've got to have you. That's the kind of revival we need. Not, not, I, I'm going to come to church. I'm going to do all this and, and God's, I want God to bless me, but I don't want him to have my life. That's not going to cut it. It's not going to cut it. And in and, and the end, it's going to just cause your heart to be divided and your mind's going to be double-minded and you're going to find your life unstable. Listen, I'm not preaching perfectionism. Please don't hear me. None of us are going to be perfect. I'm, I'm just preaching a sincere desire. I believe what God wants to send to the church is a Psalm 24 revival. Who can ascend the hill of the Lord? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart. I believe, hear me, I believe God wants to raise up a genuine passion for righteousness again. Listen, guys, I'm not talking about religion. I'm not talking about self-righteous religion. Let me tell you what my definition of righteousness and holiness is. My definition is that I fall so much in love with Jesus that I don't want anything that doesn't look like him. It's that the Bible says his eyes are like fire, that when he looks into my soul, 
He burns away the excess. And the, the Bible talks about how he separates the wheat and the chaff. And I know he's talking about people, but I want him to separate the chaff in my life. I want him to burn up the chaff in my life. I'm not preaching. Listen, hear me. I'm not preaching that I want religion or just rules. No, I want what God did in me and what he's doing in me. So he's developed such a pure hunger for righteousness. And and I know it's not even me. It's the Holy Spirit. It's his grace. And and I believe he wants to do that for all of us. And you know what? Like I said, when, when this rises up in you, you become like an instrument of righteousness. The Bible says for this reason, the son of God has been manifested to destroy the works of the devil. I'm telling you, when you start getting this passion for righteousness and holiness, it makes you mad when you get around people. And when I say mad, not mad at people, but literally mad when you get around people who are suffering and and, and decaying at the result of sin. It makes you it makes your heart want to leap out of your chest and, and, and help people get free. But it will help you guard your heart. And your affections for the Lord. Mario Marillo once said, the, gener- the generation that doesn't tolerate mixture will have the spirit without measure. And, and I just, I just, I, I just think he wants to do it. I think some of us had so much religion in the past. Man, we do not want that stuff again. But I feel like the pendulum is swinging so far the other way. So far the other way. That it's time to come back. To the past. What Jeremiah wrote in the book of Jeremiah. He said, come back to the ancient pathways. The ways of the Lord. Where you will find rest for your soul. You know that, 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 that saying that people said there's no rest for the wicked? It's true. Sin leaves us devastated. There's no peace. There's nothing but torment. But when we get back to the past and the ways of God, he says he keeps him in perfect peace. I know I'm preaching to the choir this morning. But here's my question for you as we're closing. I got to close. Here's my question. Are you tired of seeing the destructive force of sin in your life? Are you tired of seeing the destructive force of sin in in loved ones' lives, in families' lives? I I really believe that God is calling his people back to wholehearted consecration and devotion to him. I believe God wants to raise up a spirit of righteousness and holiness again. Not self-righteousness, but the righteousness that comes through grace and intimacy with the Holy Spirit. Where when people get around you, it's like Jesus. When he got around the woman... Uh, at the well and he says you've had five husbands and the one you're married to now is not yours y'all know the story Jesus didn't judge her he didn't condemn her he said you're forgiven he said but go and sin no more and then here's the incredible thing this woman became one of the first evangelists in the bible the bible says that this Samaritan woman went into the village and told everyone she knew about Jesus because here's why she was not only forgiven she actually turned from her lifestyle And said, I have found something better. That's repentance. Repentance is saying, I have found something infinitely better. I can't keep going back to the pig pen. I can't keep going back to sin. And it's not that you won't mess up or make mistakes. But but, but I'm talking about holistically, you can live free. Holistically, you really can make a change. And I'm here to tell you that if anyone in this room is feeling disqualified, if anyone in this, feel, in this room is feeling like it's too late for you, I'm telling you it's not because there's a body that was crushed and there was blood that was spilled. 
All, all, could you just close your eyes with me just for a second? I just want, I just want everyone to hear the sound of my voice. And I especially want to speak to all the, all the, my generation, the younger ones in this room, really everyone. You just need to know this morning that God loves you so much. And I just, you know, this passion that you're hearing in my voice is really the Father's passion for your life. And I just feel so much today. He's just, he's calling. I just want you to know that repentance is beautiful. He's not, he's not looking to beat you over the head. He's not looking for nothing. He's looking to transform you. It's, I just want to tell everyone in this room from young and old, as someone who I don't know much because I'm, I'm young and I'm still learning, but I do know this. Sin has never been worth it. But Jesus has always been worth it. I just want to speak to, to all the parents in the room. God, I just, I thank you. You know, God really spoke to my heart that the, the, one of the number one places he's, he's about to move in America is in families. God, I just, just, if you're a parent, just lift up your hand. Father, I just thank you for anointing parents. I just want to tell you, parents, you, you, as the priests and kings of your homes, you're, you're the first example. You're the first I don't want to just say line of defense. I, I, don't, I don't like being on the defensive. You're, you're the ones that God raises up to minister to those children first. Not the youth pastors. Not the young adult pastors. Not their senior pastors. You. And I just pray. I'm praying for your family. I'm praying that you would experience. Your family would experience revival. I'm believing for household salvations. I'm believing for God to do a work in families. Would you come on.